Welcome to the Thrills and Chills podcast brought to you by ShareBird and Clue. This is a show about establishing product marketing, being the first product marketer, and the challenges they faced. I'm JD Prater. For the past decade, everyone was obsessed with finding a growth hacker. But now, product marketers are in high demand as companies realize their value. Startups are now asking, when should I hire a product marketer? Should my first marketing hire be a product marketer? A lot of folks want to be the first marketer, but only a few make the leap. They're the builders, the fixers, the risk takers. They embrace chaos. They're comfortable being uncomfortable. And this is a journey into their world. It's about sharing the thrills and chills of being the first product marketer at a company. Along the way, we'll meet some amazing people. You'll hear engaging stories about imperfect product launches, the challenges and nuances of everyday work, and the skills needed to succeed. And of course, fresh perspective of what it really takes to be the company's first product marketer. Before we meet our guest, we'll pause for a quick word from our sponsors at Clue. Meet Jen. She's selling her division's product to a savvy new prospect. And unfortunately for Jen, she's about to get blindsided. So that sounds great, uh, but your competitor just launched something very similar. Uh, How do you compare? Jen needs to move fast. With a few taps, she leverages up-to-date intel her product marketing team has curated with Clue. Later in the show, we'll hear more on how Clue helps reps like Jen win deals every day. Learn more at clue.com slash thrills. Today, I'm joined by Meredith Davis, head of product marketing at Bungalow, a real estate startup specifically focused on co-living. Bungalow has recently been recognized by LinkedIn as one of the top 2020 startups in the US. Meredith, talk to me about joining as their head of product marketing. So I joined Bungalow about six months ago, so relatively uh, recently, and I came from being a product marketer at Uber, so much bigger company. I like to say that I joined big tech companies because all my friends were talking to me about how great the free lunch was. So I wanted to see what big tech companies were all about. But ultimately, I really wanted to make the switch back to startups I will say, though, that if someone wants to go into product marketing, there is so much to learn from big tech companies like Uber, where you not only have your pod team to learn from, so your product manager, designer, user researcher, but other PMMs to really help you with your go-to-market strategies and messaging and positioning. But my passion is really the startup space. What drove me to Bungalow is really what I think everyone should be evaluating in finding a next role. Really, number one was the people. I was blown away by the people I spoke to in my interview loop. Not only did I think that they were incredibly smart, but they were hungry and hardworking. No task seemed too big or too small. The team came from companies like Uber, Snap, Masterclass, Google, and that said a lot to me that these people were willing to take a leap of faith and potentially a huge pay cut because they believed in the product. So that was a really good symbol to me. Number two was the product, something that I could really identify with. I moved out to San Francisco in 2014 and I knew absolutely no one and I was making minimum wage. So naturally I do what most young millennials do. I went onto Craigslist to find an apartment and people that I thought I could get along with. I was looking for location I was looking for price and I was looking for people. And like many others, I ended up with a horrifying Craigslist story. 
We got to hear it now. (laughs) So I found these two girls that looked my age living in Marina Calhalo area, signed a sublease and two weeks before moving out to San Francisco, they basically told me, actually, never mind. We have a friend who's going to move in instead. And so two weeks, I was moving out for my first job right out of college and had nowhere to live. And that was really scary. And so I could really relate to working professionals who are moving to cities and want a vetted community to not only build a network in these new cities, but have a safe place to call home. And so the product and the customer pain points really spoke to me. And that's really one of the things that initially drew me in. Number three, I would say is the manager. They say that people don't leave companies, they leave managers, which is absolutely true. And I really wanted to learn from a manager who would help me in my career path of being a CMO one day at a small to medium-sized startup. And so my manager at Bungalow is Mara McCoon. And she has been a CMO at both small and medium-sized companies. So that was someone I wanted to align myself with. Number four, I would say, was impact and experience. When looking for a new role, I'm always looking for the next role. What is this role going to lead me to? And being able to lead product marketing, both on the B2B side and B2C side, was, to me, something that would help me round out my experience as a product marketer and really push my boundaries in challenging me and multiple different types of customers I was working with. And so I think like those four aspects is ultimately what led me to Bungalow. Oh, that's awesome. And for those listening, give me a quick synopsis of what Bungalow is. Of course, I know what it is, but for those that are not as familiar. Yes. So Bungalow is a real estate startup specifically focused on co-living. Like WTF, what is (laughs) co-living? So in general, the sharing culture and economy today has has become increasingly important for customers from shared rides to shared experiences and co-living specifically focuses on shared homes. So what is Bungalow? To give you my spiel, we're the largest co-living network in the U.S. We have over 700 properties and over 3,000 residents in 12 major markets. From a marketplace perspective, what co-living actually is on the homeowner side, we act as a property manager alternative where we help homeowners gain access yield and higher returns than traditional property managers. For the renter side, we provide furnished apartments, really nice, like West Elm inspired furniture, and we help them find great roommates to live with. We then take care of getting all the utilities, the Wi-Fi, the cleaning ready to go, and have created a digital first experience when it comes to maintenance, support, and paying for bills that residents can do in our mobile apps. Residents are able to rent by the room, really bringing costs down, allowing them to find places in great locations, and never have to worry about being on the hook for someone else's lease or splitting the rent. Oh, nice. It's almost like WeWork meets Airbnb. Yes, that is a really good description. (laughs) Both companies have gone public. I'm just saying you are probably in a, a really good space. Maybe not right now with COVID. So talk to me about that. You co-living, you talk about real estate. We talk about COVID. 
you joined the company with all of these things in mind. I got to dive into <laughs> your thought process here. I will say it is a very interesting time to join a real estate startup, especially in the co-living space. I think the reality is that COVID has really impacted every single company. Yeah. And as a company, you need to decide how you're going to react to it. And certainly real estate has been heavily impacted, maybe more than most, but I have been really impressed by how agile and even the ways that Bungalow has pivoted when needed during COVID. So I think a couple of things. Number one is we've seen now more than ever during COVID, people are craving community. It's been increasingly difficult to see the people that you don't actually live with during this time. And so during COVID, we've really been working on building more ways for people to connect with great roommates. So those have been some like product changes, but we've also realistically, we've seen a very large exodus from cities, the New Yorks, the San Francisco's. But what's interesting is that we actually have seen demand increase in other markets such as San Diego, Austin, and Portland. So people are moving, I would say, from like these like tier A cities to tier B cities because the rents are low and they no longer have to be in San Francisco commuting to, you know, Menlo Park, for example. So it's given people the flexibility. And that's actually been really important for customers. We've seen the uh, consumer preferences definitely change and trans and transform during this time. And as a company, we've had to adapt to it. So our residents, for example, want flexibility. Like I said, we've actually recently launched Bungalow Passport, where you can go and live in Austin for three months and then live in San Diego for three months and keep the same lease. And we're seeing that our residents are loving this flexibility because they don't want to stay in the same city necessarily. We also have gone completely virtual with our leasing and touring experiences because you have to. People don't have the luxury of going and doing an in-person tour anymore. And as a business, we've really had to ramp up and have strict like rules and guidelines for COVID testing. Before residents move in, they have to get a COVID test before coming into the home. And we've also allowed residents to mark on their profiles how strict they're keeping COVID in their homes because that definitely impacts existing residents and new residents coming in. And if you have differing like levels of COVID safety that you're practicing, that can impact roommate relations. So we are constantly having to iterate the product based on these consumer preferences and needs. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, no, I think that's like a, it's a smart, right? One thing I was wondering is you joined during COVID whenever people are social distancing how did you evaluate the risk of joining a series B while you are head of product marketing, which I promise we will get into, but uh, <laughs> I was just curious, like, how do you evaluate like joining a series B at this time of the company, but also at this time in the middle of a global pandemic? Yeah, for me, I joined this big tech company. I recognized that while it was an incredible experience, I personally love and enjoy more the startup. Yeah. So for me, like any startup, like any series B at this point is going to be a risk, especially during COVID. So I think for myself, 
I was accepting that risk, like some amount of risk level, right? If I wasn't willing to accept a risk, I would have gone and joined a big tech company again. And so I was willing to accept some level of risk. When it came to Bungalow, I really did have to do my due diligence. I utilized my network and asked around and said, hey, what have you heard about this company? But also internally, I asked, okay, show me the numbers. How have we been performing? How has COVID like significantly impacted the bottom line? And COVID really did impact Bungalow where we had significantly more vacancies than we ever had before. The company brought on many new homes in January because we were, you know, growing at a rapid pace and we had to unfortunately let go of some of these homes due to COVID. But it was really evaluating how the company reacted in March, mm. how the company was then continuing to pivot or iterate in May that ultimately led me to deciding and feeling comfortable that amidst all this chaos, the team was making smart business decisions to keep the business going. Got it, man. That's really good. I'm, I, we're going to have to at some point have a different conversation around your interview questions that you ask because that's a lot to evaluate. And I'm like, so glad that you did. I'm glad that you did this due diligence on the company because that's, I mean, it's what you have to do in, in this next role. I mean, going from Uber, going through an IPO, like it's about as big and as celebratory as you can get in the startup world. And then now going back to that series B, which is pretty cool because now you're the head of marketing. You've been there roughly six months what was it like in the beginning? Talk to me about your 30, 60, 90 day plan. Oh God, the 30, 60, 90. So first off, I would say I did create a loose 30, 60, 90, but I, I will you know, preface this by saying it really did get completely sidetracked. And for any startup product marketer or PMM going into their first startup, I would just keep that in the back of your mind that you likely won't complete like the beautiful 30, 60, 90 day plan that you set out to do. I did formulate a plan where within the 30 days I was going to be meeting with my team's pods, set up one-on-ones with stakeholders, understanding how they worked how they previously worked with product and marketing in the past and what their goals were. I was then in the midst of putting together an overview of what I thought the like easy hits were, low hanging fruit that as a PMM, I could come on and like easily execute to show and build trust and then put together an overview of what PMM meant at Bungalow. Because of course, PMM is different for every business. And so what did that actually look like and mean at Bungalow? In theory, this um, sounds like a beautiful onboarding experience, but it's (laughs) never that simple. And realistically, I was thrown in heads first. And I would say that essentially my first few weeks, I spent drinking from a fire hose and diving heads deep into launching a pretty significant change to the product. In simplest terms, we flipped our funnel on its head and introduced a roommate matching meeting and connection experience earlier into the funnel. Hmm. And this was a significant product change. And so my role was really focusing on bringing that to life with an MVP. What I will say is that this depth in one specific or two specific focus areas then allowed me later on to take a step back 
and have a better understanding on the breadth of what PMM could be working on and actually gave me more context to evaluate really diving in deep at first while it wasn't something that I initially wanted to do did allow me to take a step back and look at from a strategic perspective what product marketing's role really needed to be when it came to marketing research influence and stakeholder management so yeah probably not the response that you wanted um, no, this is good. I think it's realistic. I think. Yeah, it's, it's real. Listen, like if I could tell you here, no, step one was one-on-one meets. Step two is the low hanging fruit. And step three is sharing a plan and shopping it around with all the stakeholders and getting buy-in and just realistically at a startup, it, it's not always as beautiful as that. I know. In some cases you do all that in two weeks and other startups, you know, it is 90 days just to do all of those things. Now we'll pause for a quick word from our sponsors at Clue. Not a day goes by in sales that someone doesn't ask how your product compares. Earlier, a friend Jen dug herself out of a tight spot with Clue, the product marketer's platform for handling all things competitive. Clue helps product marketing teams collect intel from coworkers, Slack, emails, and the web, putting it all into one place that's always up to date and giving Jen the superpowers she needs when she needs them. Listen in at the end of this episode to hear how Clue empowers every team across the org with insights, something we call competitive enablement. Learn more at clue.com slash thrills. That's K-L-U-E dot com slash thrills. A question that I had for you around being the head of product marketing is, how did you know that you were ready for that role? I know a lot of us, we aspire to have that career progression. And then I think sometimes there's this imposter syndrome that kind of kicks in. That's, oh, can I do that? I, am I ready? I'm not like right. Meredith. Meredith is awesome. I'll never be a great head of product marketing. And so how did you even formulate that in your head? How did you get yourself ready? Yeah, it's interesting because many people, including myself, struggle from that imposter syndrome feeling. And I was a little bit nervous at times about starting this significant role and wondering if the shoes were too big. But the reality is you do know. And what you don't know, you freaking figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) You you just Google it. Um, You Google it or you have your team. And hopefully if you're making the right decision and joining a company, you are doing so because you believe in the team. For me at Bungalow, there are things that I'm not necessarily 100% sure on and have a really strong product partnership, design partnership, and feel really confident in my ability to say, hey, I actually need some time to figure out, you know, how to do this. But I will say going back to your original question is like, how was I ready for this role, whether I believed I was or not? I actually think it stems back to my two previous roles, first at the league and then at Uber. So I've been in product marketing for the past six years, although it feels like I've been in product marketing much longer because technically I was doing product marketing work even before I officially became one. I started my career launching and building the League dating app. I met the CEO and founder of the League when it was just an idea and in its infancy stage. 
I considered myself a young hustler at the time and <laughs> somehow convinced uh, the CEO and founder, Amanda Bradford, to bring me on as her first employee. So at the time, everything that I was doing fit under the umbrella of product marketing, which essentially meant I was a marketing generalist. I was doing all types of marketing from the research and collecting insights to building the email campaigns and also managing our PR and figuring out the go-to-market strategy for how we were going to launch the league in multiple different markets. And I think while at the time I didn't know what I was doing was product marketing work necessarily, that experience of not knowing how to do something and then just figuring out through trial by fire um, and trial and error and literally throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks is really, I think, what got me comfortable in being head of product marketing at a Series B startup where I knew what needed to get done and how to prioritize like the 80-20 rule, where it's being a B plus, A minus marketing generalist across the board is ultimately what a successful PMM looks like at a startup. And so that mixed with my experience at Uber. And at Uber, I would say I really honed my skills in when it came to the stakeholder management, getting buy-in, having to build beautiful decks and shop your ideas around to executive leadership and get sign-off. While the go-to-market stuff, I would say, comes more easily to me, of course, being a PMM. In order to be successful, you need to be able to build story storylines and narrative through decks. Yeah, decks, decks, and more decks. Decks, decks on decks. Uh, it's love and hate them. It's crazy. I, I spent some time at Google. Google was deck heavy. It's all about the presentation when you're in a meeting. Now at Amazon, it's everything is written and you write what they call narratives, but they're 20 page papers, essentially justifying your ideas. And then people go in and give feedback that way. I don't know which one I like more. I, I like presenting. I like putting together decks. I hate spending 30 hours moving something around one pixel at a time. Oh but... my God. I know. <laughs> if I could partner with a designer on every deck I made, oh, yes. I would prefer decks, but I get really crazy with the minute details and spend way too much time on the images than on the actual content that I'm just so much faster <laughs> by just going through docs. So yeah. One thing I wanted to, you it sparked, uh, I'm a little late to this comment, but I had a boss who I, I still uh, really respect her career and what she has done, what she's accomplished. And uh, we were in this one-on-one, uh, this was like eight years ago, and it, it still rings true today. And everyone has heard this advice before. And she told me, because I was asking her, like, how did you know to do that? Like, why, why didn't we do it? And she just said, JD, we're all faking it. Like, you yeah. know, and she's, we're faking it till you make it. And this is like the type of thing. It's like, we're all just figuring it out. No one has all the answers just because I'm head of product marketing. It doesn't mean I have all the answers. It just means I have some answers and I know how to get the others. And it was I totally such a good piece that. of advice. I will yeah. say that one of the first things I did, like on my first week on the job at Bungalow as head of product marketing, and this is not an ad, but I joined Sharebird Product yeah. Marketing Alliance and I paid up to be a member of those services because I felt like what I was going to miss 
was the community of product marketers that I had at, for example, an Uber, because you have brief reviews where you couldn't share your brief out to your stakeholders without going to a PMM review. And it was immediately comforting. The second I joined those communities, joined the Slack groups and like really utilized that content that I immediately felt like I could take a deep breath and say, you know what? I got this. Yeah. Yeah. I would hundred percent, again, not an ad. Obviously this is a Sherbird podcast, but I, I can't like, I love the AMAs. I love reading your answers to things and it just sparks different ways of thinking about things like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. That's a good little nugget that I can take with me into my next meeting or my next role, my next project. But one of those things too, as those that are listening, you've, you've been able to make this switch from you, what you say, like generous to just really focusing on PMM to now being head of PMM. What are some of the skills that you would say are needed? in order to be a successful PMM? You mentioned a few, but do you have some hard and soft skills that you would advise? Yes. I was a marketing generalist for some time, had many different job titles, communications, PR, marketing manager, you name it. But ultimately I started to get really anxious about being a marketing generalist because at the time I had a lot of friends who were specializing in content, in growth, in performance marketing. And that's when I started to get anxious and saying, okay, it sounds like I need to specialize too. So what I did is I did tons of research on the different marketing specialties I could go into. But a part of me really didn't want to give up having access and being able to work with all of the different channels within marketing. And that's when I discovered product marketing and realized oh, I can be a badass marketing generalist. And that role is called AKA product marketing. And so what I did to get into my first product marketing role was I set up tons of coffee chats with PMMs from big companies, small companies. And I literally did just informational interviews and asked, what does it take to be um, a successful product marketer at your company? And Product marketing is so different across the board. It really is like a make your own role in some ways. But the one thing that was consistent, whether it was B2B or B2C, was being the voice of the customer. Being the voice of the customer, even if you're looking at product marketing job descriptions on LinkedIn, you'll see time and time again, voice of the customer. And I thought to myself, okay, what does this actually mean? Like, what does this actually look like in practice? And I think being a successful product marketer is really constantly asking yourself, are you really being the voice of your own customer? And what does that look like? And how do you show up for your customer for your company? And so, for example, like at at Uber, I was banging my hands on the table and being an advocate for delivery partners. And at Bungalow, it means banging my hands on the table and being an advocate for residents and homeowners. For example, when homeowners are saying that they don't have enough insight and visibility into the performance of their property now more than ever with COVID, while it may be a significant engineering lift to build a owner portal where you can see how your home is performing and the maintenance tickets that are coming in and you know what vacancy you have coming up, I'm banging my hands on the table 
and being an advocate for homeowners and trying to figure out a way to influence the product roadmap. So I think that is, I would say like number one for skills in being a successful product marketer. I would say in terms of being a successful product marketer for startups, number one is building relationships and understanding the customers as early as possible, getting feedback from customers and relaying it to um, your product teams, your design teams, because that will ultimately help you drive the product, the product roadmap. I think like number two is staying like really scrappy and learning how to pull your own insights. I think a lot of startup product marketers end up becoming like the user researcher just by default, because a lot of early stage startups don't have the resources for their own user research. And then you need to be able to understand, okay, how, when, and why do you use qual versus quant? I will give a plus one to that one. And really being able to figure out, okay, what does this actually mean? What is your customer saying? What are they doing? And is there a disconnect? And being able to share that out broadly. I think another thing to be a successful PMM at a startup is being able to craft the story. And I think that time and time again, that's startup, but also large scale. And that's building decks, of course, to share a story internally, but also working on messaging frameworks, practicing what are the values and the key benefits and reasons to believe that ladder up. Lastly, I would say is like being willing to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty and <laughs> being okay with your responsibilities yeah. changing on a day-to-day basis. It can often mean that there's fluidity in your role and responsibilities as well as a PMM. And I think that being a successful startup PMM means not only can you play high and being strategic, but you can play low too and doing some of the grunt work and sending out life cycle comms, for example. You've given us such a good framework for thinking about how to join a company, when to join a company, what you look for in a company. What does it look like starting out with a series B startup and even like a 30, 60, 90 have given us some really good skills that PMMs out there, if you're listening, this is how you're ready to be ahead of PMM and to join an early stage startup like a series B. This podcast is called Thrills and Chills. So now I'm like really curious here. Oh (laughs) man. What are some thrills, some chills, some highs, some lows? I'm, I'm ready for this one. I'll say I started off my career with my first job right out of the gate. I was working for a sexual wellness company and I was there for six months and there were some really uncomfortable things happening at the company. And I felt that my safety was at risk and I was being treated in an inappropriate manner. There was definitely some sexual misconduct that was just absolutely not okay. And I spoke up. And I went right to the CEO of the company at the time and shared my experience. And on the spot, I was fired. Wow. And I moved out to San Francisco. I was making minimum wage. I was this like young, scrappy hustler ready to take on the Bay Area world. And all of a sudden, I was so ashamed and embarrassed, one, for what had happened to me. And two, wondering if I did the right thing, if I should have just kept my mouth shut, if I would have still had my job. And I really hit rock bottom. I felt like I couldn't share with anyone what happened to me. And I also felt like I didn't have enough 
support to potentially go to court or fight this. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is this is just one example of many things that happen in your career that are either outside of your control or make you feel like you've hit rock bottom, whether it's a situation like this where you've been fired or you got laid off due to COVID and you feel helpless and you feel who will take me after this. I know I think that there's also like this feeling of should. People say that you should stay at a company for at least a year. And I thought to myself, oh my God, like my first job out, not only was I fired, who's going to take me on because I've only been up here for six months. And there's no shoulds. You're worth and don't settle for anything less than what you deserve from a financial perspective, from a career perspective, from being treated well in a business setting. That was a really interesting way to kick off my marketing experience. I would say that's probably the largest low. But I've also had some lows when it comes to launching products that have completely been a bust. (laughs) We all have, Uh, yes. So at Uber, I was managing a agency and managing over a million dollar marketing project. And it was my first time managing such a large agency and we were delayed. We were delayed from a marketing asset perspective and we were delaying product launch. And that was a pretty big low because I then had to go to all of my stakeholders, tell them that we were behind and usually engineering and product are behind. And so it was weird (laughs) from a marketing perspective that I was the one uh, delaying product launch. And so that was a low and I had to go to stakeholders and figure out a way to make up the time lost and how we were going to pretty much do an analysis of what worked well, what didn't work well and why this was so delayed. So that was a low too. I think that it's all a learning experience and you have to just look at those and own up to where you could have done better uh, and then ultimately improve for the future. I think like one of my lows at, at, at Bungalow has been in an effort to move fast and sending out things to some of the wrong customers or emails that aren't quite perfect. And I think at startups, you have to balance what is okay going out at an 80% in order to move fast and make those compromises with yourself. So I would say like sometimes those can be lows and just the reality of the low right now, which is COVID. Like it's a slog, no matter what company you're working for. We've all been working at home for way too long and we're ready to have some type of normalcy again and see friends and coworkers. I would say that a low for me is joining a startup and a new company and having no idea like how tall my coworkers are. You know, like I see them over, I see them over Zoom yeah. and, and right now I have no idea. They could be six foot tall or five feet tall. I have no idea. And building those relationships up front and having that water cooler coffee talk is something that I would say is probably a low for me at this point. There's only so many Zoom happy hours you can have. From a highs perspective. Yeah, let's now, get into the good yeah. stuff. We, we can wrap up on some on some highs for all yeah. of you out there. Yeah. And on the high <laughs> note, the high no note. Pun intended, right. I have been extremely fortunate in my career to see the benefits, like the fruits of my labor, the benefits of the products that I launch, like truly impact my customers. I have, from a league perspective, I have been to three league weddings of friends of mine and have met two beautiful league babies. There is nothing quite like that. To build a product from zero to one 
and see how it has impacted and actually created families is incredible. When I was at Uber, I was fortunate enough to meet delivery partners who were going to college for the first time or going and getting their master's because of the money that they made from deliveries. And that just, to me, is an incredible high that you get from being a product marketer. And then now at Bungalow, I have had the opportunity to talk with residents who financially would never have been able to take that job in San Francisco or to move to New York because financially they couldn't, but now they have the the opportunity to do so and build a network and meet some of their best friends. So that to me is what keeps me going, honestly. And that might be cliche, but right, we all go into product marketing to be the voice of the customer and to make an impact on customers' lives for the better. And to me, there's no better high than seeing your effort actually pay off, whether it's one person or thousands, millions of people. Meredith, thank you so much. Uh, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing you know, your journey into the world of PMM, startups, companies, and sh- of course, sharing their thrills and your chills at the same time. Salespeople want short, digestible insights. They don't want 17-page decks that are scattered across the web and who knows where. Clue makes it easy to create and deliver battle cards. In a pinch, sales teams can find them easily with all the insights they need on how to handle their competitors while working a deal. And with Clue, it's not just sales teams who want battle cards. The product team, customer success, and marketing, they all compete too. Now, everyone can compete to win. For any of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales team will love, head over to clue.com slash thrills. That's K-L-U-E dot com slash thrills. Tell them that I sent you and they'll set you up with a bunch of free resources that you can use to get started. Don't forget to subscribe as we'll be back next Thursday. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, things you liked, things you want to hear, anything else, please email podcast at sharebird.com. That's podcast plural at sharebird.com. This podcast is produced by Sharebird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It's a place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. A special thanks to Alex for helping bring this show to life. Jolisha is our senior editor. Serbi is our master scheduler. Our podcast art was designed by Vika Karpitsky. Our music is by Joaquim Karud. And of course, Jason and Katie over at Clue. As always, thanks for listening.